Right. Uh, good evening. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, hate to. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you, David, but I'm actually going to be preaching on chapter two oh. this evening. Um, so, one John chapter two. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, please open it up, and we'll study uh, God's word together. Uh, one John chapter two. I'm going to read verses three uh, through to eleven. I think it's kind of the we've been going through the book of 1 John over the last couple of months, uh, New Life, uh, and actually I think this passage um, is quite a central passage. I think this helps if you wanted to understand the whole book. This will give you a a better understanding uh, for the letter as a whole. Uh, So I'll read 1 John chapter 2 starting from verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray uh, before we uh, study the passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us uh, through it. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we do not have to to guess uh, or speculate about who you are, what you are like, uh, but Lord, that you have uh, revealed yourself to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have uh, ultimately shown yourself through your son, Jesus. Uh, And Lord, we thank you that uh, every page of the Bible uh, points us to your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that as we uh, study your word, uh, Lord, we pray that we would uh, see how this points us uh, to your son Jesus, what it reveals about who you are and uh, what you have done for us. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak into our hearts too, um, that we would uh, hear what you have to say and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, about a year ago, um, there was a, an advert that I would uh, pass on a bus stop. Uh, I pass this thing every day. Uh, it was a McDonald's advert uh, for the most incredible looking beef burger you have ever seen in your life. Everything about it looked perfect. Um, you know, it had, uh, the, the meat looked incredible. Uh, it had salad and sauce and the, the bun was, looked perfect. It had the perfect picture. And it's one of those things where every day I pass by it, uh, one, made me want to McDonald's. Um, but while it looked like the perfect beef burger, actually... When you read the writing, you'll see that actually it doesn't contain any beef. This was for their new uh, plant. It doesn't contain any actual meat. It's all just plant protein. See, whereas it might look exactly like a beef burger. It might smell, or um, I haven't tried one, but presumably they taste like a beef burger. It isn't actually a beef burger. Uh, And that is basically the thrust of John's letter, is that somebody might look like a Christian... 
They might sound like a Christian. They might even be able to act a bit like a Christian. And yet that doesn't actually make them a Christian. John is warning the church about people who uh, have gone out into the world pretending to be Christians, claiming to speak on behalf of God. And yet actually those people are false teachers. And so he is warning throughout the letter about these people who, who look like the real deal, and yet they are not genuine believers. They are counterfeit Christians. Now, as you read through the letter, you might start to question, well, am I really a Christian? How do I know that I am the genuine article? How can I know that I really am saved? Or how about an even more basic question than that? Can we even know that we really are saved? Well, John answers this for us helpfully in chapter 2, verse 3, doesn't he? He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. John is able to have confidence in his own salvation, isn't he? He can be confident that he really is a Christian. He really has come to know God for himself. Now, in our world today, that maybe sounds quite arrogant, doesn't it? It sounds quite big-headed to say that we know God for ourselves. And yet, John is able to say that perfectly confidently, isn't he? He has certainty of his salvation. And so, while, while there might be many people uh, out there who, who claim to be Christians, they are not. But we can be certain of our salvation. We can have certainty of our salvation but only under certain conditions. He doesn't just say we know that we have come to know him uh, if we feel like we are Christians. That's how many people act, isn't it? Or he doesn't say uh, we know that we have come to know him uh, if we think so or if somebody else tells us. No, he says if we keep his commands. John gives us certain tests that will show the, um, the genuineness of our faith. He gives us two tests within this passage that we can use to examine our faith and to test whether it is genuine. Um, if I was to go into to the Morrisons, uh, where I live, I don't know whether you have Morrisons in Sunderland or what supermarket you have, um, but suppose I went in and I, uh, I didn't go to the, the new self-service machines, I queued up and I went to an actual cashier, um, and I do everything the old-fashioned way, and rather than just using my card, I, I pay with cash. And suppose, uh, suppose uh, that I have a 50-pound note on me, what is the cashier going to do when I hand that money over? Um, well, they're going to check, aren't they, that that money is genuine. They're going to hold it up against the light. Uh, they're going to make sure that all the watermarks are in the right place. They're going to do all of the right tests in order to ascertain whether or not that money is genuine or not. And in the same way, John gives us tests that will show us whether or not our faith is genuine. And so if we pass these tests, then we can be confident that our faith is genuine. We can have the same kind of assurance that John enjoys in his faith. Now, the first test is obedience. We see that at the end of verse 3, don't we? He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That's a mark of being a true Christian, isn't it? Is that we will keep God's commands. So if we are true Christians, then we will want to do what God tells us 
to do. And equally, the opposite of that is also true. So somebody uh, who doesn't do God's commands, that's an indication that that person isn't really a Christian. It says in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So somebody might look like a Christian, they might be claiming to be a Christian, but actually, if they never follow God's commands, there's a problem, isn't there? If they're not interested in doing what God tells them to do, then they're not really saved. The obedience to God is a sign that we really are Christians. It's like a, a watermark on a 50-pound note. It shows that, that that money is genuine. Well, in the same way, obedience to God's commands shows that our faith is genuine. And there, are, um, there are two things that I, I want to, to clarify that I'm not saying. Uh, first of all, uh, obeying God's commands does not make us Christians. It doesn't make you a Christian simply by uh, keeping all of God's commands. Obeying God's commands does not make us Christians, but it marks us as Christians. You see the, the difference between those two things. We do not become Christians simply by obeying God. No, we become Christians through faith in Jesus Christ, don't we? But if we are followers of Jesus, then we should begin to be like him, shouldn't we? That's what verse 6 says. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That should be the natural consequence of us uh, being saved. If God has been at work in our hearts, rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness, bringing us into the kingdom of light, then we should live as citizens of the kingdom of light, shouldn't we? If God has transformed us, and he's, given us he's removed our, our hearts of stone and turned them into hearts of flesh, then we should live as people who have hearts of flesh, shouldn't we? People who love to serve God and obey his commands. So you cannot become a Christian simply by obeying God's commands. It, it's a, a response to something that God has done within us, isn't it? We become Christians through repenting of our sin and putting our trust in Jesus. But once we have done that, then we should want to obey God. The second uh, misconception uh, is that uh, I'm not saying that all Christians are perfect. Far from it. Um, in fact, John is not saying that either. Uh, John makes very clear uh, in chapter 1 verse 8 that nobody is perfect. He says, if anyone claims to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John is clear that nobody can claim to be without sin. Nobody can claim to be perfect apart from Jesus. None of us can claim to be perfect and we never will be perfect in this lifetime, will we? See, John is not telling us that the test of our faith is perfection. No, the test is obedience. John isn't calling us to be perfect people who have everything all together. But he is calling us to be obedient to God's commands, isn't he? The sign that we are saved is not that we will be perfect people who have uh, our lives completely wrapped up and all together. No, the sign that we are saved is that we will be more obedient than we previously were. Uh, somebody I, I know um, is, um, became a Christian a number of years ago, uh, but he was doing a Bible study with a Christian um, 
in order to, to find out what it was all about to be a, a Christian. And the person who was leading the Bible said to him, after you know, a few months of doing the Bible study, how, how are you finding it each week, studying the Bible? Um, you know, what do you think of Jesus? Um, are, you, are you thinking about um, becoming a Christian at all? Um, and my friend said, well, I, I really want to become a Christian. Um, and you know what? I've tried to become a Christian. I believe everything that you're telling me. Uh, I believe everything that we're, we're learning about every week. Uh, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that, that Jesus came into the world to, to die for our sins. Uh, and I've, I've prayed to him. Uh, I've tried to, tried to put my trust in him. Uh, but, but I'm not a Christian yet. And the guy leading the, the Bible study said to him, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean? You're not a Christian yet. And he said, well, when I've heard other people talk about when they became Christians, they, they talk about uh, this feeling that they had inside, about you know, what, it, what it was like to be uh, made set free from your sin, uh, to have the, the Holy Spirit come in, inside of you. Uh, and I, and I, I've not experienced that yet. And the, the guy who was leading the Bible study said to him, well, but you know that you're a Christian because you're, you're meeting with me every week to study the Bible, and you're, you're not doing all the things that you used to do in your old way of life. You've stopped doing A, B, and C. You've stopped hanging around with these certain people. You've started reading your Bible and praying every day, even when, when we're not meeting. Uh, and my friend said, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. I have changed, haven't I? See, he was expecting some kind of uh, spiritual experience that would prove the authenticity of his faith. But that's not the case, is it? We're, we're not promised some kind of uh, inner feeling uh, that will prove our faith. In fact, uh, in a couple of chapters' time, uh, John will warn us uh, not to trust too much in our hearts. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 20, he talks about what we do if our hearts condemn us. Well, we know that God is greater than our hearts. We cannot trust in our own feelings or our own opinions it's not our own opinion of ourselves that matters, is it? It's God's opinion of us, ultimately, that matters. And so the sign of our salvation is not some kind of uh, feeling or some kind of spiritual experience. No, the sign that we have genuinely been saved is obedience to God's commands. And so the challenge for us is, do we listen to what God says and do we do it? Do we put it into practice? The first part of obeying God's commands is listening to God's commands, isn't it? So do we spend time reading God's word, studying it for ourselves? And then secondly, do we obey it? Do we actually put it into practice in our lives? Now that's something that isn't always easy. In fact, it's often very difficult, isn't it? I'll give you a few examples of how obeying God's commands is difficult. Being called to forgive another Christian who has wronged you. That's something that is often painful, isn't it? And yet, God commands us to do it. The world we live in uh, today uh, is a, it's an overly sexualized culture, isn't it? And so the Bible's standards uh, on gender and sexuality uh, stand out in clear contrast to the world around us, don't they? And yet, God commands uh, married couples to be faithful to one another, and he commands single people to wait for marriage. 
These are difficult commands. Or, or what about God's commands for us to share the gospel with others? To, to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's a difficult command God gives, isn't it? Sharing our faith with others is often embarrassing or difficult. And yet, if we are genuine Christians, people who have been transformed by Jesus, we should want to obey God's commands, shouldn't we? See, if we are keeping God's commands, if we are doing the things that he tells us to do, then it gives us assurance that the Holy Spirit truly is at work in us. It's evidence that we really are Christians. See, following God's commands isn't not always easy. It's often a difficult thing to do. But if we have been saved by Jesus, then we will want to obey him. We will want to do the things that he tells us to do. And again, we're not going to be perfect, are we? All of us will fail and will fall short in various ways. But if somebody is claiming to be a Christian, and yet they never... Uh, make any effort to obey God's commands. They have no intention of doing what God tells them to do. Well, that's a sign that they're not really saved. Uh, obedience is a sign that we really have been saved by God, isn't it? So we can be confident that we are Christians if we keep God's commands. Secondly, John, John gives us a second test, doesn't he, for our faith. So the first test is obedience, but the second test is love. In verse 9, he says that anybody who claims to be a Christian but hates their brother or sister it is still in the darkness. That is to say they are, they are not a Christian. But verse 10, he says that anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. That's a, a sign that they really are saved. I don't know whether you've ever met somebody who said something to you along the lines of, um, I don't really go to church. I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not interested in that. Or they might say to you, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand Christians. I have some sympathy for those people. Um, I can understand where they're coming from, but actually, the Bible doesn't allow us to think that way, does it? Yes, sometimes other Christians can get on our nerves, but actually, we shouldn't be able to say, I love Jesus, but hate other Christians. That shouldn't be possible for us, should it? If we love Jesus, then it must stand to reason that we must also love his people. We must love the other people, our brothers and sisters that he gave his life for. The, the two things go hand in hand, don't they? If we love Jesus, we must also love his people. Now again, it's not that loving Christians makes us Christians, Nobody's going to get into heaven because they did a really good job of, of loving other Christians. But it simply marks us as Christians, doesn't it? So the, the challenge for us is, do we love other Christians? Now it's easy for us to say, oh yes, I, I, I love other Christians. But do we actually do it? Is it something that we actually put into practice? See, John talks uh, later in the letter, um, about how uh, we, we cannot just love with words, but we need to love in, uh, in actions and in truth. Do you actually demonstrate your love for your fellow believers in real, tangible, practical ways? Do you spend time with your brothers and sisters? It's the most fundamental part of it, isn't it? 
Uh, we can't love the people uh, that we're not with. Do you spend time with your brothers and sisters? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters? Do you know what to pray for them? And do you ask them to pray for you? Do you serve your brothers and sisters? Do you help them with practical needs that they might have? Are you willing to put their needs above your own? Are you willing to sacrifice things in your own life, your own comfort or convenience for the needs of your fellow brothers and sisters? See, if we're doing those things, then that is a mark that we really have been saved by God, isn't it? It's a sign that something has changed within us when we are no longer focused on our own selfish goals and ambitions, but when we willingly sacrifice uh, for others. John gives us these two tests, doesn't he? Um, He gives us two tests, obedience to God and love for one another. Now, of course, we won't always love one another perfectly, will we? There's always going to be disagreements in any, uh, in any setting. That's the, the reality of church life. Especially if you have a, a local church that's made up of different people of different ages, different nationalities, different cultural backgrounds. Uh, inevitably, people are going to fall out at some point, aren't they? But there needs to be love and reconciliation even within that. So the test for us, the second test for us this evening is, do we love one another? If we do, then it is a mark that our faith is genuine. But if we don't, then it it suggests that there is something wrong, something missing with our faith, that we haven't really understood who God is, that he is the God who is love. Now again, Uh, I want to make clear that doing these things doesn't make you a Christian. Nobody is a Christian because they are really obedient or because they are really loving. However, they are signs, aren't they, as to whether or not we are Christians. It's like if you want to know what kind of uh, tree you have growing in your garden, the best thing to do is to look at the kind of fruit that is growing on it. If there are apples growing on it, then it's a pretty good indication that it's an apple tree. In the same way for us as Christians, isn't it? We look to the fruit in our lives to show what is really going on in our hearts. And so these verses should challenge us to examine ourselves, shouldn't they? They should cause us to to look at our own lives. Does my life match up with the faith that I claim to have? See, if you're, you're here and you claim to be a Christian, but you actually have no interest in following God's commands then you need to ask yourself, am I really saved? And equally, if you claim to be a Christian, but you don't love other Christians, then you need to ask yourself whether you really are one of God's people. But John goes one step further than this. Look with me at at verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Yet I, uh, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now in verse 7, John said that uh, this is an old commandment that John is giving. In one sense, it is an old commandment. These things uh, that John is saying is nothing new. Jesus is asked to sum up uh, the the Old Testament law, and he does it uh, in just two sentences, doesn't he? He tells people that they need to love God and to love one another. And that is effectively 
what John is saying here throughout his letter. We need to love God, which is to obey his commands, which he defines later on as trusting in his son Jesus. And we are also called to love one another. There's nothing new about what John is telling us to do. But in another sense, what he is saying is new. Its truth is seen in him and in you. There is a difference now to when these commands were given in the Old Testament. These things, are, are being, uh, these things have been displayed in the life of Jesus. Love and obedience are shown in God's Son, Jesus. But also, they are shown in you. The truth is displayed in Jesus, but also in you. So these two things that we're talking about, obedience to God's commands and love for God's people, are not only tests that show us whether our faith is genuine or not, but they are also markers that will show the watching world whether or not our faith is genuine. So if we think about obedience to God's commands, that doesn't just give us some kind of inner confidence that our faith is genuine, but it also shines the light of the gospel into the world around us. It speaks truth to the watching world, doesn't it? Similarly, when we love one another, yes, that gives us uh, genuine valid that gives us uh, validation of the genuineness of our faith. But it also speaks to the world around us, doesn't it? What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, "By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." It's a marker, not just to ourselves, but also to other people. So, if you love one another, then that is going to be noticed by your non-Christian friends and family members, by your colleagues, your neighbors, your employers, whoever. They're going to know that you are followers of Jesus if you obey God's commands and if you love one another. These two things that John talks about are not just markers to give us internal assurance of our salvation, but they uh, give external markers to the world around us, don't they? The truth of the gospel should shine out to the watching world through the way in which we live. When I was, um, when I was a kid, we'd often uh, go to my uncle's house. He lived, um, he lived on uh, Dartmoor, uh, in this tiny little hamlet um, and I remember the, the car journey it would often be quite late at night by the time we'd get there it would be dark uh, it would be completely pitch black everywhere um, no, no street lights or uh, any kind of um, light pollution where we were my brothers and my sister would uh, all older than me they'd terrorise me by telling me about uh, all of the terrifying creatures uh, that lived out on the moor um, it was a, a scary place to be, uh, even in the comfort of our family car, uh, going across that dark moor. But there'd come a point in the journey where we'd see a light on the horizon. We would see the light of the, the little settlement where my uncle and his family lived. And that light would shine out brightly. You could see it from miles and miles away. And that is what Christians are called to be, isn't it? We are called to be a bright light in a dark world. It should be noticeable to people when we obey God's commands. 
It should be noticeable to people when we love one another, shouldn't it? So when it's difficult for us to obey God's commands, or when it's difficult for us to love another Christian, then we need to remind ourselves that actually in doing those things, we will be a bright light shining in a dark world. It will stand out to people, won't it? They'll say there's something different about them. They might say there's something weird about them, but other people will be drawn to the light, won't they? People will think it's strange that we hold to to the Bible's uh, way of life. People will think that it's strange that we uh, spend our time with people who are so different to us uh, in church life. People will think it's strange, won't they? And yet, many people will be drawn to the light as they see the truth of the gospel displayed in the way in which we live. But of course, we only reflect the light, don't we? Jesus is the true light of the world. He is the one who truly shines. That's why in verse 8, it says that the truth is seen in him and in you. Jesus is a, a far greater light than any of us ever will be. See, all of us fail at these things, don't we? All of us fail to obey God's commands in one way or another. Uh, All of us fail to love God's people as we should. Uh, Even the best of us, even those of us who might have been Christians for decades, will fail in some way. But not Jesus. When we think about these two things, obedience to God's commands and love for his people, Jesus does both of those things 100% perfectly, doesn't he? He was obedient, completely obedient throughout his life. Obedient even to the point of death. Jesus was willing to give up his life in obedience to the command of his heavenly father. What is it that Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he was killed? He prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew what it was to be obedient to God's commands. And he also knew what it was to love God's people didn't he? Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is precisely what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us on the cross. There is no greater love for God's people than that, is there? And so we see that throughout his life, Jesus demonstrates both his obedience to God's commands and also his love for God's people. And we see those two things displayed perfectly on the cross. On the cross, Jesus gives up his life in obedience to his heavenly Father and also to rescue God's people from sin and death. I said earlier that we're not Christians because we're really obedient, because we're really good at following what the Bible says. We're not Christians because we're really loving people, because we aren't. By and large, we're sinful, selfish people, aren't we? Being a Christian is not about doing lots of good stuff. If we try to save ourselves through doing enough stuff, then we will never manage, will we? We will always fall short. Only Jesus has lived a perfect life. The good news for us is that he has done it on our behalf. All we need to do is turn to him, don't we? We trust in his life lived on our behalf, and we trust in his death, died in our place and so if you're uh, here this evening and and you're not a Christian uh, then I would urge you to turn to Jesus maybe you're here this evening and you've actually realized that you're not a Christian at all 
Uh, maybe you've been calling yourself a Christian for a long time. You might have been able to, to give the impression of being a Christian. You look like a Christian. Uh, you go to church. You do lots of Christian activities and you do some things, some good things. But, but when you look at the fruit of your life, there isn't any. You don't really care about keeping God's commands or loving his people. Well, if that is you, the answer is not simply to, to work harder or to try more. I'm not here to tell you to do better. I'm here to tell you to repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus. The answer is to look to the light that shines in the darkness. And for those of us who are Christians, we have a, a challenge, don't we? As we uh, he hear from this uh, passage, we have a challenge. We're not going to be perfect in this lifetime, are we? Not by a long shot, but we are called to be obedient to God and to love his people. And so I wonder, what will it look like for you to do that in the week ahead? In what ways uh, do you need to obey God's commandments this week? And how can you lovingly serve his people? I feel like I've spoken for a long, long time, but I've got one final, final word uh, of encouragement. Verse 8 says that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I hope that that's a, an encouragement to you. John knows that the light has already begun to shine, hasn't it? Jesus has already come. He has already done everything necessary for us to be accepted into his new kingdom. He has already begun to reign, hasn't he? He has already been through the cross uh, and now he bears the crown. He has already offered his life for us. He has already been raised from the dead for us. So the light has already begun to shine. And it is shining through us as well, isn't it? And the darkness is in the process of passing away. See, the day will come, won't it? When the darkness will be completely gone, when Jesus will reign fully, when the light will shine supremely when there will be no more darkness no more pain or suffering or death the picture that john gives us it is a bit like at the end of a very very long dark night when the sun has not yet risen above the horizon but its light is already starting to be seen its warmth is already starting to be felt and you know at that point that it won't be long until the sun appears fully and the darkness is completely banished. That is the world that we live in, isn't it? We, we live in a, a dark, dark world, but we know that the light has already begun to shine. Now we wait patiently, don't we, for the Son of God to fully appear, and the, light, the darkness will be completely banished. But until then, we are called to live as children of the light, aren't we? We are called to live in the light, to walk in the light, and to reflect the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you do not uh, leave us uh, as we were, uh, but Lord, that you are at work in our lives, transforming us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for uh, his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. Uh, we thank you that through that we can know uh, forgiveness of sins, we can know uh, restored relationship with you, we can know uh, the, the hope of eternal life. 
Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are uh, a God who does not just uh, leave us as we uh, were, uh, but Lord, that you are continuing uh, to be at work in our lives, continuing to prepare us for the day uh, when your son Jesus will return. We thank you for your Holy Spirit uh, at work in our lives, uh, transforming us and making us more and more like your son Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray for anyone here this evening uh, who doesn't know you for themselves. Lord, I pray that they would come to put their trust in Jesus, the only one who has, um, uh, who has been obedient to your commands, the only one who has loved your people well. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, that there is forgiveness available to us, that there is uh, new life available uh, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that uh, for those of us who are followers of you, uh, Lord, I pray that we would... Uh, day by day, have more of a desire to follow you more closely. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts uh, that look to follow you. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be quick to repent uh, when we fail. Lord, I pray that we would be quick to put our hope in Jesus each and every day. Uh, and Lord, I pray that we would be people uh, who obey uh, your word, who do what you call us to do, uh, and people who love one another. And Lord, I pray that that would be uh, a light to this dark world around us. Lord, I pray that that would shine out uh, the truth of the gospel to those who do not yet know it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.